this week on the Open Nesters podcast with Haven and Buck. Plenty of marital relationships that are just constipated. <laughs> you know, they, you know, they, they have reached a point, you know, they have reached a point where they just cannot, you know, they've just poured so much into the kids and now all of a sudden they're looking at one another and it's like they haven't haven't really done the work to maintain the relationship. And so working with this kind of medicine would it would allow them to reconnect to, you know back to the to the time in which they initially fell in love and, and got into the whole, you know, 20, you know, 20, 30 year marriage. Welcome to the Open Nesters Podcast. How will you write Act 3 of your life? Will you be open? Will you welcome the possibilities? Are you going toward your most vibrant, authentic stage of life? Are you curious to discover what's ahead? Are you in a fork in the road and wondering which path to follow? Would you like to hear from others who are already writing Act 3? Hey everyone, I'm Tessa. And I'm Amir. Why be an empty nester when you can be an open nester, living on the edge of your curiosity, on the fringe of your imagination, reinvention, and sexuality? Together, we'll take a journey and explore how rich this stage of life can be when we approach it with an open mind and an open heart. Tessa, we finally got off the editing table into the air, the episode that we waited for with our friends Buck and Haven. They are truly, truly an example of the category we title Dreaming of Open Nesting. What exactly is in store at Act 3 once the kids actually fly off the nest and the nest become open? So they are a true example of that. Right, Tessa? Absolutely. This is such a treat of an episode for me. It's such a delight because these two come from a very higher consciousness. They're they're after two different marriages. They are in their own partnership, and they're able to really kind of de- detangle and dismantle this idea of what love maybe was for them in other relationships and drop ego. And they do some of it through plant medicine. So you'll hear about that. And she's a medical doctor. And this was, she was only recently influenced by the idea that this love, that has it has a love effect for c- couples therapy that actually there's a lot of research around it now. And, and, their, and their whole approach to children and his ability with his ego to kind of sever generational trauma that was in his family and be a better dad. And there's a lot to learn and a lot, to, a lot of love in this episode. So let's listen to Haven and Buck. Welcome, Haven and Buck, to the Open Nesters podcast. We're so excited. We were finally able to coordinate seeing our friends and seeing you, even though we're only recording by audio. We're excited to see your faces today. Right. I know it took a while to get the time together, but uh, thank you very much for making the time on this special day. Yeah, uh, you guys take a lot of time apart. So you're together now. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for the invitation. It's our pleasure to be here. And and so you're you're just going to go back to your little background because you're you're a fairly recent partnership, and we'd love to hear how that evolved based on you know where you both came from with where you are in your lives right now individually. So if you want to catch us up, that would be ideal. You start, honey. Haven's <laughs> <laughs> letting me start. How did we start? 
we actually, a colleague of mine, uh, I recently got out of a eight year relationship. I think I, I don't know if it's been out there, but I feel as though I coined it the idea of a CRR, um, the COVID relational reassessment. <laughs> COVID, I got to write that down. That, that was uh, something that occurred for me during lockdown, as I'm, and I'm sure, as we know, it's, uh, there's a whole long line of, uh, of uh, relationships that are, you know, that are in the same place in terms of reassessing during this time. And so it was, um, that was in an eight year relationship and, uh, two marriages prior to that. I did a startup marriage in my, uh, in my twenties to my uh, elementary school sweetheart. And then uh, later on, seven years later, I did the, you know, the, the child marriage. You know, we had two children, uh, my second marriage. And then um, got out of that 10 years ago, a couple of years of you know, rediscovering myself and then got into an eight-year relationship. So with the COVID reassessment, it was the idea that you know, we, we were, you know, we aligned eight years ago, but you know, as time grew, um, you know, we, I got to a place where we just, there was just not enough glue to, you know, in my mind to carry us forth into that third chapter. And, uh, and, you know, I'm near, I personally <clears throat> and Haven as well, we're both nearing that, that kind of empty nest, uh, or open nest right. situation. So it was time to get back out there. Um, and I was really telling you the truth. I was looking for something very light. Um, I, all I wanted was, a- I am very light. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know that I would say that. But uh, so we, so a colleague of mine turned me on to a Bumble, you know, a dating app, and um, run by women, by the way. Exactly, I I loved. uh, I actually loved that aspect of it. I think it was great that they get to control the, you know, the algorithm. So uh, I was, again, looking for something just to, very light, um, you know, so to buy myself some time to regroup. And, and uh, you know, life is what happens when you're making plans, right? So right. I ran across this incredible person. And, uh, it does. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, uh, it, I, was at a, I was really exhausted, too, though, <clears throat> coming out of, uh, you know, these you know, mar- two marriages and two kids. And, um, and anyway, how, old are, how old are your kids? Uh, 17 and 19. 17, 19. Yeah. So my daughter's going into senior year in high school. My son took a gap year and he's starting up at school in Boston uh, come September. Do they live with you? Uh, my son does. And my daughter is with her mom. Got it. And her gravity's with the mom. So I'm in a slightly different situation than Hayden, who's got full on three. But anyway, so it was, you know, it was going through these profiles. You know, I, I live in Manhattan in New York City, and uh, I kind of, I guess the algorithm put me in, grouped me in with this certain uh, geographical you know, area. Yeah, the Hampton set, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the, so it was a matter of just swiping through all these women who loved wine and loved the beach and loved the Hamptons and had their, you know, their little miniature dogs with them in their profile pictures and, you <laughs> And that's, uh, yeah, that's something that didn't appeal to me. I've kind of been there, done that. And, and uh, so I tripped across this incredible individual, uh, Haven, who had actually had the word hippie in her profile, which is like <laughs> New York City. I was like, oh, my God. You know? A real <laughs> hippie in New York. Yeah. For me, it, it, it resonated. And, um, and I think initially we both, we, so we connected and we both, uh, the intention was to keep it light. But I think here we are eight months later. Uh, it's gotten a little deeper than I think we both had anticipated, uh, which is both a beautiful thing and, and uh, 
a very and the timing of it is is incredible because there's a lot of aspects um, of our lives that are similar and that we look forward to exploring as we approach this open nest kind of chapter. Awesome, awesome. And how about you, Haven, to catch yeah, us up? Yeah, get us up from wherever. Did you know that that's a story about him? Did you know that, or this is all new to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talked about when we met. I think when we met, we sort of had this instant chemistry, right? Because it was during COVID. And, um, you know, he invited me to his place in Harlem. And, um, you know, I think you just kind of didn't do that at the time, right? Like I feel, I think at that time we all felt very anxious about dating and how to perceive it and pursue it and all these other kinds of things. And yet it was just this sort of meant to be kind of a thing, right? It just sort of happened so organically and we connected in so many ways. And I have similar um, marriage paths as Buck, in the sense that I had the starter marriage in college, so got married very young, seven years didn't work out, had the marriage with my um, ex-husband where we had the three children. And now we're sort of, you know, both of us looking forward to creating, you know, a, a marriage, or a connection, a relationship, whatever you want to call it, that is based on all the things that we want to now do going forward. So I think, you know, we still have the kids around, which is giving us a chance to spend time together and sort of start laying out the groundwork for what we want that to look like. So how's that communication going? I'd love to hear about that. It, so, so many people are dreaming. There, how many that, kids yeah. do you have? Three, I have mentioned. three. three kids. And the ages? Ages. 20, 18, and 16, and two dogs. Two 20, dogs. 18, and 16. So both of you, right at that cusp of like, yeah, we, we've been nurturing, we've been parents, we've been giving and and trying to figure out our own lives. So that's so essential for what we're trying to convey here is that how's that thought process going and how you're even there's no there's no yellow brick road or perfect pathway to this. But how how's the mess and how's the what are the revelations and how you're communicating with your kids that you are such becoming independent and making new choices? How how's that going? Okay, so I've been I've been working on that goal for longer than Buck. Um because I've been out of my marriage for five years. So I've had a long time to sort of to date and to be out in that whole environment and kind of knowing what I'm, what I know works for me, the kind of relationship that I want. And so when B's um, profile came up on Bumble, which is what I told him, it was sort of like the world opened up and like the fireworks happened because his profile, as he was telling you earlier, just kind of stood out. You know what I mean? It was not the average profile that you see on, on Bumble which is like a miracle, you know, like how often does that happen where you right. see someone's profile and you're like, I think this is a person. This is my person. Like I'm looking at my person, you know, wow. and that's like five years of dating. So it takes a really long time for people out there. It just, you have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process, which is what I've said to Buck <laughs> that I did enjoy the process. I just enjoyed that yellow brick road, like you were saying of dating, but I think in doing that, you also get a greater sense of what you are looking for. Yeah, and it's and it's tiring. I mean, Bakker, you 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 may have to give us some tips how to write a good profile for, for everybody else, so so we can see the bees also as as well. Um, but really just, it just boils down to authenticity. I mean, I just yeah. wrote about who I am as a human being and and what I connect with and and. and trying to connect with another, another. And the fact that we know that we've known you a little bit, I can actually touch on the fact that I think you being vulnerable, you going through this exploration of your consciousness is a different way of being in so many ways that a lot of traditional couples or individuals 
at any age of life or have explored. So I'd love for you to speak a little bit more about that. Like where were those openings for you to be more authentic um, so that you could come into this? Because as a man, I think in particular, men have a harder time with vulnerability. We have so many interviews with really soulfully connected, highly conscious, evolved women. And I do wonder how you've come to this. And I would like to hear a little bit about that. Uh, it's, I feel incredibly fortunate in the fact that um, maybe about four years ago, <clears throat> I got involved in a men's group. And uh, I was in this, uh, we, we would meet uh, once a quarter, in essence, every three, four months. And there's upwards, you know, it, it, it went from like nine to maybe 14, 15 men at different, different gatherings. And it was just an incredible opportunity for me to connect with other men. I mean, I grew up in a very male, you know, very hyper male environment. My father was an ex-Marine. Uh, there were six kids. I'm the youngest of six, five boys, one girl. You know, we were all, you know, wrestlers and football players and, and all that. And, and uh, you know, I have a very macho background. I was in the military. I was a police officer. And, you know, then I got out of that. And I was a teacher. And now I'm a social worker. And, so I had all this masculinity that I was steeped in my entire life. Uh, but it was never really, I mean, I, I could play that game. I could move in those circles. But it was really through this men's group that I was, you know, it was just such an incredible opportunity to connect with other men, to hear the struggles that they too as men have been going through their, their you know, entire lives, you know, to childhood trauma that we are um, tapping into. We would actually access, um, I don't know how many of your listeners are possibly, uh, you know, how they would react is, but, you know, we, we would um, partake in medicine and in, in, uh, psychedelics, primarily, medicine. You know, primarily MDMA, um, which is, you know, the street names, ecstasy and Molly. And, but it's an incredible, uh, it's an incredible medicine. It's not necessarily psychedelic. But it uh, was an opportunity for us to, as men, to be able to you know, move from head to heart and put down the shields, you know, to put down this masculinity that so many of us are, are really you know, a victim of in large part, uh, and then perpetuate throughout the throughout the globe. And so to, to be able to hug other men, and it wasn't about, you know, sexuality, sex or sexuality, or intimacy, it was just this connection of, of men being sharing, close. Yeah, sharing our life experiences and, and realizing that, uh, there is so much more um, that we can offer and we can bring to the table uh, as men in, in, in our communities and our families and in our workplaces. And uh, so that was a, a wonderful journey for me in, talk, in terms of opening up. Um, and it's funny because I got turned on to in this men's group, uh, David White. He's an incredible Irish poet. And he talks about... Uh, Reaching a you know reaching a, a ripening as a, as a person like you know cyclically um, throughout our lifetime we hit various points where we ripen as people and and he says that the you know he spoke to the importance of kind of bringing in the harvest during those times and I think uh, in my meeting Haven I really felt as though in getting out of this eight year relationship and and uh, and being on the cups cusps of getting my children out of the nest. And having that, um, you know, the additional free time and being able to get back to who I am as opposed to dad, um, which I, I poured a lot into. I, I love being a dad. Uh, you know, I was an incredible dad and still am, but it is shifting. And uh, so bringing part of bringing in the harvest has been the realization that, you know, what, Dave, what a friend uh, David White was interviewing uh, in this book that I, I tripped across called um, Midlife and the Great Unknown. And in, in it, David White talks about um, 
you know, the, the antidote to exhaustion, which is really where I felt I was, is not so much uh, rest, but instead wholeheartedness. Oh. And, you know, so it's really at this point and in, in thinking about, okay, you know, I'm at this ripening moment in my life and I really need to bring in this harvest. I've met this incredible woman that, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to meet per se. I, you know, I would, I would love to have put her on the burner in the freezer for a couple of years and, <laughs> you know, but uh, I'm not going to, you know, even R Rilke kind of talks about the same point in terms of bringing the harvest and, 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 and the failure to do so at the time will really, you know, you, you lose the potential of ever being able to recapture the benefits that come with that, that personal growth at that moment in time in your life. So I have, in fact, you know, thrown myself into this wholehearted uh, connection and relationship with Haven and it's, uh, it's bearing fruit every day in, in all sorts of <laughs> incredibly oh, wonderful ways. So, uh, so precious. Do you have a response to that, Haven? I see your face like, oh, this is like yeah, a journey, lit like up. this journey. She lit up. She lit, lit up face. And I know you because I know how much you, how deep of a human you are with your soul heartedness and really open heartedness. And I remember us talking about that, that when you go into open heartedness and when you come from that, even with some psychedelics that you've experimented with lately. So you're seeing him in this new way. Are you witnessing yourself in a new way? I would just oh. be curious to know. Yes. I mean, completely. I think, um, when, when Buck and I first met, you know, he used to make fun of our relationship because he would call me the dude, right? Because I was not <laughs> as, as able to express my feelings, my emotions. And I'm still really on that journey towards him to get as far along as he is, right? So we sort of have kind of a, um, a difference there. Like, I think he's much further along that path than I am. But, you know, it's nice to be able to look towards going forward, what that looks like. And yes, we have used some different journeys to sort of get us closer to what that will look like and should look like. And I think that I have a lot of childhood trauma, I think that I've repressed and I'm just sort of coming to terms with now. And I think it's going to be healthy. Like, I feel like everything that we're sharing together is, is part of that journey, right? Is letting go of all those things that we've carried forward and letting go of two failed marriages, you know, and, and not feeling bad about that and just being open to whatever this is going to look like going forward. And, you know, I think we're super, we're in a super great place. If you like this episode, you'll also love episode three, three couples and their passions. And episode 23, if it feels right, why not? What, what it looks to me like, here you are, you found each other. You seem to be a great match. you absolutely fabulous together that I can vouch uh, for myself. And, <laughs> and, what, and what, you, what you've been speaking about. And now you want to date. You want to do things. You want to have some adventures. You want to have some private time. You, you don't want to deal with all these responsibilities of kids and work and all this other stuff that comes around. And, and how do you deal with that now? This is a, the conflict. You want to be already an open nester. You want to go to that next step of, I have no responsibilities for at home. The kids are taking care of themselves. How, how do you deal with that uh, conflict? Well, first of all, I think that we, um, we're trying to create that, what, what we call that buck haven space as often as we can, right? So that's a big deal. And I think we sustain ourselves knowing that we have these things to look forward to, right? That are going to allow us that time together. And, you know, for the listeners, we took a, a trip recently out to the West, which was, um, pretty much just he and I together in a van, you know, out, um, you know, away from anything that could kind of, 
Um, yes. <laughs> Just to explore each other, right? So that's what you're asking. So we're able to right. do that because we ask our kids to step up and we ask our kids to sustain themselves while we're gone. Did they? We, we create that time for ourselves. And I think that journey out West, I mean, we just sort of, we didn't really question ourselves. I think we both have the confidence to know that we can do it. And, you know, when we first were in the relationship and I would complain about the bumps because we would hit these bumps, and I'd be like, oh, this guy's falling. This is the big bump. It's over. Like, we can't go on. And, you know, my lovely philosophical partner here would be like, we're going to grow, honey. This is going to make us into a better relationship and a better couple. And, you know, our souls are opening and I can see your soul and I love your soul and you're in a safe space. And we're just going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to be the relationship that we want to be. And I think that's been our journey is that authenticity that we talked about and finding a man, as you were saying, that is allowing that space for us to be right. right? So, Amen. 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 We're men like you. But wait, I want, so going back to this kid thing. So I mentioned it earlier and I'd like to tie it back in. How did, how are you creating that, that sustainability for your kids to know that you're stepping into it? And how are you communicating that so that this is nothing is, is, you're like, okay, I'm going to get there. And it's over, and I'm going to be an open nester. First of all, they're always going to be in our lives. Our kids are always sure. in our lives. We have an open door for them to come back. And we're not That's like, what no, open you're means. out. It's yeah. empty. We're finished. We're going to find transitions and ways to embrace that journey for them, just like you were embracing ours. So how is the communication looking for you with your kids? Like I wondered. Uh, so that was one example. How did that go with you able to step up while we're away? How, how did that go? So I can speak to that a little bit because um, I've been a full-time mom. So my three kids have been in the house pretty much all the time. And I think it's, I think it is how you raise your children, first of all, right? So I think if you raise open-minded, authentic children that support your journey as much as they support their own journey, that's, I think the most important part is that they respect the fact that I deserve to have a life and I, and I'm going to be a better person if I allow myself to have these experiences and allow myself to keep growing. And I think that's the thing, right? It's like, we're, as parent child, we are growing together. And I'm very open to them about, about what this looks like. And to know, like you said, that there's always the open door, but at the same time, I expect them to start creating their own journeys that exactly. I support. And therefore I need that space and time for myself as well. So, and you accept their sexual and gender expressions. And we talked about this, you and I, so I know, and I, and I'd love you to speak of that because then this way they, they have seen you experiment because of five years with, you know, the beginning of you, I know, you know, experimenting with bisexuality and them being very supportive. And I think that that's something most people don't know about. So will you speak to that a little bit more, Haven? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, the fact that um, when I was growing up, there wasn't a space to feel comfortable in my bisexuality. So it was never a, a thing that I would ever reveal to my parents or to be open about even into the community. Right. I think that's something that we keep well hidden. Taboo. Taboo, great word, yes. And so I think that, you know, being a 50-year-old woman and just exploring my own bisexuality now, I certainly don't want my kids to be in college and, you know, being open to, to miss their opportunity to be whatever they want to be, whatever gender fluidity they want, whatever sexuality they want, whatever they want to feel connected to. So my biggest thing when I was going through it, truthfully, was just to to be honest about it. Like, I really didn't hide anything. And so... You know, when I was dating women and I was going out on a date, my kids would say, well, are you going out with a man or woman tonight? You know, which so sweet. Right. Like, I think that was really important for them to ask that question, to know that it's okay. 
that we're all just human beings and mom's dating whatever feels good for her. And so I didn't necessarily throw it in their face, but it just became sort of a, an evolution towards my my journey again and opening up their journeys as well if they wanted to do or be whatever they want to be and be connected to. So, you know, I, I think it just goes back to authenticity. Like that's the bottom line. Like you can only be who you are and just be 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 comfortable with who you are, right? And to be able to, for your kids to know that. And therefore it opens up the door for them to be whatever it looks like for them as well. And that's usually set the, the you know, the, the backdrop for being able to continue with your own life continuously when they become independent. Now they have a true uh, self-awareness and to their identity and who they are. And because they see their mom as an example. Is Buck, are you have experiencing the same thing with your kids? It's interesting. Uh, yeah, my son, you know, they're, they're two New York City kids, you know, so they're kind of, you know, they're very progressive to begin with in light of, uh, actually, my son a little more so. He, he's, he's in the acting community, the acting world. So he's in a very kind of open-minded uh, community, beautiful community of all these incredible young, you know, young adults now that as they're in their first year of college and, and he's a beautiful soul. And so my daughter, she's a little more, you know, it's kind of a late bloomer, which I'm kind of, you know, not uh, too bummed about, I guess, in a way, but, um, but she's now finding her voice, which is great. It's really beautiful to see her now moving in her senior in high school and kind of maturing and, and finding her own voice and, and uh, you know, separate identity and sense of self apart from her mom and, and myself. And, um, you know, COVID has been a little tough in terms of connecting with her because she has a, again, her grandmother, is older and, and in the apartment next door. And so she had to be very mindful, um, you know, in terms of, you know, staying in the pod. But, uh, in terms of talking to them about, uh, you know, we, you know, my son, I haven't talked to them about sexuality or in terms of my own or, or um, you know, I'm, I or the medicines. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I have talked to, um, I've been very fortunate in my, in the fact that my son, we took a, my part, my ex-partner and I, who had the woman I was with for eight years, we took a harm reduction approach to when he came of age and started experimenting with, you know, alcohol or, uh, marijuana and, and, uh, and more. A, a and harm reduction approach. You want to just explain a, that? A harm reduction. Um, it's just the idea of it's the opposite of the law and order approach to parenting in, in a sense, instead of coming down on them, you're grounded, give me your cell phone. You are not to go, you know, uh, it, it's, it just doesn't work. I mean, it's the heavy handed, uh, law and order approach was something my, my father, um, laid out with thought with his five, you know, with his six children, the five boys, especially, um, you know, in, in an, un, you know, in an unhealthy way. Uh, I remember he threatened to break my arm the first time he smelled alcohol on my breath, you know, just beer at, at I think, 15, 14. And, um, and it didn't work. You know, it didn't work. We, and it's funny because when my son first came in drunk at 15, I reached out to my siblings and, you know, all of whom have children older than my own. Um, and they had gone through similar type things. So I asked them, what did you do? You know, when your son first came home drunk and, and they're like, Oh, you got to bring the hammer down. You got to do blah, blah, blah. And it was, it was just, I was like, come on guys, did that work for us? And, you know, we were all very, you know, kind of crazy kids in terms of experimentation. And, and uh, so we, my partner at the time, we decided to just take a harm reduction approach and, and use the opportunity to communicate and talk to our son about our concerns about his, you know, going down this road of experimenting, whether it be alcohol or otherwise, and, and that we would be there to support him, you know, should he need a ride home and instead of, you know, getting into a car and things like that. And, and it really panned out because, you know, without that taboo of like, 
you know, you can't have it because, you know, bad things can happen. It was more the idea of just be a responsible human being as it relates to, you know, dabbling and, and things that can, you know, be harmful if, if you overdo it. And having and someone really to important. talk to, having a dad to talk to, you know, I, I wish, cause I was talking that with my siblings today about this, that my, I was the, I was the wild risk taker. And when my dad tried to restrict me, that was it. I was, I was sneaking out. I was trying everything. And, 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 you know, some people won't do that as in their, 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 we have a certain DNA and we're wired to something. And the best we could do is support our children along the way for what their pathway is and to experiment with what, with whatever trips, you know, they, they go on or they come from or they fall into. And so I love, love hearing this. And, and so talk a little bit about the, the plant medicine, because I think it's a new subject for us on the open nesters. And I wanted to hear how it's impacted you and, and, um, and then recently with your ex experimentation with it. Well, well, that's part of the dreaming of open nesting. As you when, dream of, yeah. when you, when you have less responsibility, you can probably try some other, uh, sorts and variety of the medicines. Yeah, exactly. I to tell you what, there's, what's happening is a third wave as it relates to these medicines. I mean, you can call them street drugs if you want, but they're really not. They're, they're healing medicines. And unfortunately, there, there was a lot of research going on in the sixties and the fifties and sixties as it relates to, uh, you know, LSD and ayahuasca and, and, um, MDMA and, and, uh, you know, psilocybin, which is you know, magic mushrooms and, you know, a lot of great research showing a lot of potential, incredible medical benefit, uh, mental health benefit, et cetera. But then, you know, Uncle Sam Nixon got, you know, threatened by the idea of the Vietnam War, et cetera. And, um, you know, you had some promoting of it that was probably unhealthy with Timothy Leary, et cetera. But, um, it, it, so then it got all shit shut down. The second wave was shutting it all down, making it, putting on schedule one DEA list of having no medical benefit, no therapeutic uh, use whatsoever. It's all just, you know, it's going to create chaos in our culture and society. And then other countries, sadly, throughout the globe followed suit and shut this all down. But now, luckily, um, and kind of surprisingly, in light of the past administration we've had, uh, it's really coming back into being looked at a second, a third wave of research that's going on and showing incredible benefit. I mean, just last week in the New York Times, uh, they talked about MDMA being in the final third phase of, um, trials with the FDA to be used for PTSD. Incredible benefit as it relates to absolutely you know, these poor, to make... poor troops going back yeah. to Afghanistan and Iraq and having severe PTSD. Um, the frontline medical workers now hopefully will benefit from some of what they've had to deal with the past year and um, being able to access MDMA assisted psychotherapy, which is pretty much, you know, probably about a year down the road, uh, can be leveraged to great benefit in terms of, and it's not just a, a symptom type, uh, medicine that deals with symptoms. It, it gets to the root cause and it softens up the amygdala. It allows a lot of these reoccurring um, traumatic, you know, events to be let go and released and processed in a healthy way in the brain. And so there's, there's a lot going on. I think Michael Pollan, who's a uh, respected author and a kind of a mainstream author, um, he's wrote a book called uh, How to Change Your Mind a couple of years back. And, and I think a lot of the mainstream uh, culture is getting hold of that and realizing that there is, uh, you know, hey, there's, there's something here. It's not just some hippie, uh, you know, hippie movement. Um, so, you know, luckily Haven and I have been able to access, um, MDMA and we've had some, some great journeys. And it, what, what it allows you to do is to move from your head to your heart. It basically dissolves your ego. 
you know, for a good two, three, four hours and allows you to, again, drop the defensiveness, the insecurity, um, the ego and really communicate in a way that is just so incredibly powerful and beautiful and, and, uh, and has the potential again to, uh, to, for a lot of healing. I mean, you talk about trauma, trauma is such a huge thing. There's a lot of research coming out showing the incredible prevalence of it, um, you know, in, throughout our culture and especially in the West. And collective um, trauma. I mean, the truth is we, yeah. we, we carry trauma from, from, I think our ancestry as well. And so it, trauma is in our bodies and the way we are dealing with it in, is not in the open hearted way we want to, in to make a better world. So the fact that you're doing it in this exploring way of our chapter three, which I exploring time is so essential. I, I, so it's opened up your love more. I mean, I think that's been a part of what you've been conveying in some way. I'd love to hear a little more about that, how that when you have those hours, when you are letting go of your ego, when you're just kind of being as present as you can, where have the shifts been or have you journaled about it? Like how, how is that evolving? Well, personally, let me just say that I had never experienced anything like that. So someone coming from a medical background, I don't think I was necessarily open to the idea where those particular kinds of plant-based medicines could take you. I think I was sort of of the belief that the chemicals that I had access to would always be enough to sort of um, be able to take somebody to where they needed to go, number one. So I sort of had, I think, a little stigma about it. And number two, I was of the belief that therapy, you know, counseling could also get you through those traumatic experiences and move forward. And I think what I what I personally feel like with the, the, the chemicals that we've been using is that it literally, like you said, the word leapfrog, it takes you like five years ahead, because suddenly you're letting go of things that first of all, I'm not even sure that you knew were buried in your subconsciousness. So you're letting go of a lot of things in a very quick way, a healthy way, not unhealthy. But it's just suddenly like Buck said, in the sense of it's like an onion being peeled away. So all these, all your exterior protective devices just sort of kind of melt away and you're just in your own skin and your own heart. And you just want to be able to convey that to the, the person that you're with. So I think doing it with Buck has been really the most valuable thing because I had done a few experiments before Buck and I didn't get the same response. So I think sharing it with someone that you're deeply connected to which is why I think this is phenomenal for couples to be able to use it as a tool to enhance your your wow. your love and your life and really let go of so much of that ego stuff that keeps us trapped and not being able to kind of go down your journey, right? So I'm a I'm a big believer in where I think this can bring us and, and a big believer in using it to help our relationship going forward. And in a responsible way. Like here you are, you know, between two worlds, this medical world, having children, responsibility, and yet stepping into how we can open this other way right. of life, which I love to call Act 3 anyway. Like, here's an opportunity for us to invent the lives we want and write our own chapters. I mean, are there any other things that you'd say you're you're dreaming of, whether it's yeah, because I you mean, started traveling? I or- mean, I, I was questioning, I mean, we, we talked a lot about dreaming of being an open nester where you can run your own show. And here, let's, let, let's take us, uh, you know, f- fast forward, uh, I don't know, two, three years. Suppose, let's suppose uh, that your kids are out of the house. They're all settled in some way and they're either school or they are in some kind of a career. And now you really only have responsibility for your home, uh, I guess, and, and, and job. What would you what what are you dreaming right now about doing that you can't do? 
I think uh, one of the things we we talked about, you know, potentially looking at is the idea and the timing. I think would be uh, ideal in terms of, uh, as I mentioned, MDMA assisted psychotherapy for PTSD moving through the FDA process and being approved uh, to be used in a therapeutic way in different community settings. I think uh, trying to go through myself going through a a facilitator course and with Haven's medical background, the idea um, of being able to, as a couple, bring this this, um, benefit of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy to other couples. It it was actually utilized as couples therapy or in couples therapy up until the early 80s when Uncle Sam put a kibosh on it. And that's going to be something I think that's going to be coming back for not only PTSD, but also, again, couples therapy. And it's, again, it's like I, I know, as I'm sure you do, and all your listeners most likely do, I know plenty of marital relationships that are just constipated. They have reached a point where they just cannot, you know, they've just poured so much into the kids and now all of a sudden they're looking at one another and it's like they haven't, haven't really done the work to maintain the relationship. And so see, working with this kind of medicine would, it would allow them to reconnect, to, you know, back to the, to the time in which they initially fell in love and, and got into the whole, you know, 20, you know, 20, 30 year marriage. So that's something that we've toyed with the idea of. Uh, what a surprise. I didn't know about this. This is a good. So has this been surprising you? Like you guys look like you're just alive with surprise. So that's what I'm wondering. Like as you start looking ahead, there is that new opportunity. I mean, and you want, you talked a little bit about traveling in a van or, or getting something a little nicer, but extending that time and, you know, the, that journey, like what's a place you would love to yeah, go? Extending the hippie lifestyle, I guess. That's what it is. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen these, uh, you know, TV, the, the tiny house thing, the tiny house. Yeah, movement. yeah, they're amazing. You know, so they have now uh, sprinter vans. So basically small vans that can fit in a standard parking space. And uh, in, in these, you know, kind of minimalist vans, they, you can trick them out to have a queen-size bed and a full kitchen, a microwave, and a refrigerator, and, you know, shower and a toilet and... And for me, I've, um, I've get that's been my retirement fantasy to get, you know, I'm kind of a minimalist and, and uh, Haven is as well. We, we don't like a lot of stuff and we're moving towards slowly getting rid of what we do have. And I can tell you the happiest moment in my life was back in grad school when all I had was my parachute, my mountain bike and some clothes oh, and, and a laptop for churning out term papers and, you know. But that was like, that's all I had. And it was just the most happy, happy place to not have all this stuff that I had to tell around. And so t- for us to get to that point, we've talked about the idea of should, um, should we survive one another, <laughs> you know, over the years going forward that we, uh, that we would, yeah, try to see if we can get a sprinter van and, and go up into Canada and all around the States and, you know, hit the national parks and go hiking like we did last month. And, and uh, just, you know, the kids are, you know, get the kids through college. And that's, you know, like that for me is like the last piece is trying to just do the best I can at, at pushing them out of into life with minimal college loan debt. And if I can pull that off and I'm done, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I love them to death and I'll see them at the holidays. But between then, it's uh, it's I think the two of us are going to really be looking forward to bringing in the harvest. It's bucking, bucking haven time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and let me ask you about your let me yeah. ask you about the other programming that we've talked about extensively about the systemization that we have about what monogamy is meant and monogamy since you've been graduated from two other marriages do you feel like that you know you're open to non-monogamy and ethical non-monogamy obviously you communicate well or do you feel like you found each other and that's it like how what's your feeling there 
No, I think we both agree that we're 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 open to everything, right? So that's just the kind of people that we are. So the idea of uh, allowing each of us to explore together and apart is certainly something that we both bring to the table. I think the key is communication, right? So we, I'm learning, and Brian's fantastic at it. So, <laughs> student. Yes, I'm a very good student. And um, I think, you know, in the past, I've tried to be in um, non-monogamous relationship, and it didn't work. And it didn't work because we just didn't have the communication skills to make it work. So I think, you know, going forward now, I think we're in such a healthier place because Buck mm-hmm. loves to talk, as I was saying. And but Buck loves to talk about how I'm feeling, too. So there's a space for us to have feelings about what dating other people would look like. So dating people together as a couple, dating people individually. I think we're sort of comfortable with all sorts of kind of arrangements and going forward. Would you agree, my friend? Yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, it is kind of new for me. I've, you know, I've had you know threesomes and foursomes, a little swinging here and there in the past, but nothing um, nothing on par with, with what we're you know currently talking about uh, doing in the road we're talking about going down. And I think the key is to have a, a strong foundation uh, as a couple. You know that we are the primary top dogs and security. And, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Which, like, with that, and I think that we are reaching that point uh, day by day. That um, there's, you know, the, the rest is just an open, beautiful journey, adventure, and landscape. Yeah, right yeah. in front of you. Yeah. This has been my such a great beginning of us trying to talk about dreaming of open nesting with such. Open people. This is the best interview. I love it. So, so is there anything yeah. else? I, that, mean, uh, yeah. I mean, here, here you are. I mean, I can already see you on, in that Sprinter van uh, <laughs> cruising down somewhere on uh, I-40 between Nashville and Memphis. And here you are uh, stopping and, you know, exploring. It is a wonderful sense of freedom uh, that you're really seeking. And that's what I think that I hear from, from our conversation privately and through this interview. Anything else that you would want to do besides having that freedom to be on the road and open road and just kind of start exploring what life could be without too many responsibilities? And this idea of working together, I think the yes. whole idea, I think there were two pretty big things. Yeah. So if you don't have any more, if there's anything else you just wanted to add that's coming up for you right. before we wind yeah, down. I that's what I mean. Yeah, I think our biggest thing is trying to find at this stage because we are chomping at the bit to kind of, you know. Yeah, it's a transition. Yeah, yeah, take the yoke of, of the parenting off our shoulders and having known that we, we gave it the college try, we did the best we can and we did, we have churned out and are churning out incredible future taxpayers and wonderful citizens. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, so we're really, it's a lot to feel good about, but we are looking forward to, you know, again, opening up, um, you know, this next third chapter, but also being mindful that we still have a couple more years. And I think, you know, I've, I've said this to Haven in the past, the idea that time is on our side, mm-hmm. right. you know, we have a couple of years and we don't want to forsake what we have left with our two youngest. Um, it's an opportunity and, to plan. Yeah, exactly. It's a wonderful opportunity to kind of slowly allow, you know, what's you know, percolation and, and, you know, kind of what bubbling up to the surface, different ideas and different ways by which to go about it. Um, in, in order to minimize any impact on others. And, and then once we get there, it's it's going to be... Uh, well, I would even say by, the, by your way of being present with the kids for the last couple of years, you know, and, and the fact that you do have a level of patience through this, your emotional understanding of yourselves, that you're not rushing through it to try to get them out. 
right. even if you have, I mean, that's what we hold the paradoxes of life. Like we right. getting to the next thing and being with what is. Right. So, so that's, that's the, the, the beautiful transition that we can embrace. And it helps them know that that's the uncertainty in life. Like, even if you want to get somewhere, let's be with what is and you being present with them, they'll feel so. Yeah. And also, I think, uh, Tessa, we, um, childhood experiences in terms of our, uh, our fathers, anyway, our parents kind of, kind of letting us know that, hey, come 18, you're out the door. I mean, <laughs> that was a well-known thing in, in my household and everyone abided by it. Come 18, you either were in college, you were in the military, or you're just you know out living with roommates. Married, got rent. married like I did. Well, you had early marriages, probably. That's right. right. That's probably part of it. Yeah, and I think with this, our current generation is this idea that we have to keep, you know, somehow, I mean, believe me, I, I have told my son, and my daughter, that no matter where I am, there'll always be, you know, a, a, a space for you. But that doesn't mean when they're 30 years old, they're coming and sleeping on my couch, you know. <laughs> you know, it means that, you know, there's just a life out there that really, you know, starts at 18. And, you know, if they can go and join the military and, and fight on the battlefield, they can they can get out on their own and, uh, and you know, carve out their own lives for themselves. And it will be their support, certainly. But I think it's it's important. I think one of your other interviews you did, I was listening to the other day, there was a gentleman who really stressed the importance of treating them like adults, not like kids, but to treat them like kids, right. you know, all the way up to the young adulthood, they're going to continue to fall back on that. You know, uh, we always say that between it's over and next, there is a hammock uh, that is called now. And this is where you are, you and that hammock that's trying to, it's over and next, what's going what's to be. I'm sure there's many listeners of ours that, are dreaming of being an open nester. And not only that, they are either married for a long time or, or just a new relationship. What would you recommend or what tip would you give to a couple that are dreaming an open nester, whether it is five years away or two years away or 10 years away, that they can do now to actually actualizing their, uh, their dreams, whatever it is that's going to be on Act 3? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is, which is what we've been struggling with, is just enjoying the process. So just being so grateful that we found each other, that we have a sense of what our chapter three is going to look like, I think makes us, I think, both feel very settled and very comfortable and confident that we're going to be able to create that vision of what we want. So that's the first thing is that we still want to be enjoying where we're at, the process. We want to love our kids every day and hug our dogs and, and have great, you know, love connections in our home and not throw all that away for what we want to bring to the table when we're able to do it. So that's certainly part of it. And the second part of it is, um, I think what we do do, which is that B and H time, like that B and H time, it is the future. And if we enjoy whatever we can now, it's the groundwork for what it's going to look like when we can spend all that time together. So, yeah. And let's be honest too. I mean, there's, there's an age stage appropriateness as it relates to the teenage narcissistic bubble, you know? So there are times when we don't have to feel guilty that we're having a BNH time because they're in their own little, you know, narcissistic, narcissistic bubble, teen bubble anyway. You know, they're on, you know, playing video games or they're out of parties. They're, you know, they, they don't want to be hanging out with mom and dad, you know? So in those moments, we seize them. And, you know, on this past Friday night, we went to Brooklyn and we were floating in a float tank in Brooklyn. And then after that, you want to come to that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, no phone calls, no phone calls coming in, you know, any worries from the kids. So they, like, they're, they're getting to that point where they can, you know, fend for themselves to varying degrees when we're doing our thing. And, and yet we honor and, and respect being you know, our quality time with them. Uh, and so we've, we've kind of split up our, our weekends in such a way to where we, 
cater to them, but also cater to us. And, uh, and I think it's a good model for them to see too, is, is they get older, they, Hey, there was, yeah, mom and moms and dads can have lives, you know? And I, so. I think we should go back to the, the psychedelic plant-based medicine because for your listeners to know that it is a safe place and it is something that can really, for someone like me who came from the background that I come from to be able to open myself up to what that looks like and to embrace it. And I think to not be fearful of it, because I think that we're kind of taught that it's, it's not okay. I think I, I kind of had that upbringing, which sort of would prevent me from doing that. And then my medical background me also too. sort yeah. of steered me away from this idea that it was okay. And I think chapter three for me is what Buck is able to bring in the sense of this whole world that I would never have had the confidence to do on my own, but most importantly, to share it together. Like, I can honestly tell people that this is a remarkable way to enhance your life, enhance your relationship and to really move forward in ways that you probably didn't think were possible. So that's where I say we want to come. Because yeah. putting you in putting you in the flow tank, I doubt because he likes to jump, but he when he brings it down to him, I would love some guidance with that. We could be your first example of a couple with MDMA. I'm volunteering us. Period. That's it. That's look, uh, you got it. Look, you can guide us in our internal journey for intimate, if, and I'm all in. If it's administrated by uh, an MD, it I'm is. In. It will be. Uh, I'm in. Okay. Um, and then, if you, know, if you want to take it farther, I, I can tell you a, a beautiful story as it relates to um, ayahuasca. Um, I was able to partake for several years in, in uh, about two, two ayahuasca ceremonies a year. Um, and it was the best gift I've ever given my son. And it only came about because of ayahuasca was the idea that he will now go out into his, into his life, into his, you know, his future. Minus ever having been humiliated and physically abused by his father. So it was through plant-based medicine, through ayahuasca, that I was able to literally you know, sever that generational trauma and not do to my son what was done to me by my father. And uh, it's a beautiful gift to see that his trajectory in life will probably be a heck of a lot farther than, than I have gone. So it's, it's incredible medicine that um, I think is going to start to you know, get out into communities and out into you know, the countryside and Really, it has the potential maybe to save us from ourselves, you know, if you think about it in terms of where we're going with climate change. And you know, maybe we can start Actually, to yeah. wake, awaken to what's what we're doing awaken. to Mother Earth. And, and, uh, awaken so. is the key. And I, I, I don't find it anything but enlightening and beautiful to listen to you. So we're going to wind down and, and tell you thank you so, so much for this valuable time right. for us with you. Right. We, we will have fun trying to come up with the name and the title for this particular <laughs> Episode, yeah, uh, with the sure Sprinter van and the MDNA and, and so many good things, uh, so many good things. Uh, but we will share that with you as well. It's been enlightened, uh, enlightened, enlightening, uh, enlightening. And I always stumble about this word. <laughs> I'm a foreigner. What can I do? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been truly inspiring, and uh, we would love to see you soon. And uh, we are. Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay why don't we cut this but i'll let you say goodbye let you guys say tessa amir thank you both so much it was such a pleasure being able to get together here's a preview of our next episode paradoxical powers healing with the dominatrix with heather hunthausen well if you think about it I haven't stopped living because I have children. I'm producing music. I started my own business. 
I'm going to fetish parties. I'm whatever, dating, not dating, being single, being whatever. I feel super blessed as a parent. So as I experience more and more of this, what I'm going to call feminine power, because it felt like the masculine inside of me, but really it was the feminine, like demanding what she wants and the masculine saying, yes, ma'am, I've got it. Yes, I've got you. I've got you. This amazing thing happened to me that I'd never experienced in my entire life before, which was that I trusted a man. Getting back to the episode, I so appreciate Haven and Buck and the consciousness they bring to this wholehearted relationship, which I so adored what Brian talked about, midlife and the great unknown from uh, David White, just this idea of how we bring in the harvest. And it's not with rest, even if we're tired. Wholehearted living is the way to live. And that's what I love about this episode. Yeah. I mean, I'm still kind of digesting everything that I've picked up from that. But I like that uh, COVID relationship reassessment, the CRR, (laughs) where uh, during COVID, we all had to reassess where we stand, what's our relationship, what's our career. So it was a truly uh, a reassessment stage for many, many people. But uh, Bucks talked about, you know, a men's group and how important it was to his life. And it's kind of opened me up to look for men's group and what exactly they can do for me and how can I benefit from being affiliated with a man group. Not that I have any issues ever, you know, hugging a man before, but, you know, uh, I, like to, I like to experience that as well. But uh, both of them are trying to be open for so many things, and they are just on the cusp of being an open nesters, and they're really planning what they're going to do in Act 3, and they have a specific, specific plans for it. And I urge everyone that is in that stage of life that dreaming of open nesting being free from the responsibility of the kids, so to speak. Not that they are ever going to be away from you or out of your life, but away from the responsibility that you have burdened for so many years. I urge you to plan what you're going to do in Act 3. Or at least be very, very curious and open is my approach to that. But, uh, Amir, I'm really happy you brought up the men's, the movement that, that Buck spoke about from our head, to our hearts. And and that is hard. It's, it's putting down the masculinity thing to be more vulnerable. And that's how intimacy, which is also known as into me see, intimacy is created. So on that note, I know you'll be joining me for an event that if it was just me doing it, it would definitely not work. But I am doing an event on intimate and open for men. And it's actually probably just passed as we put this episode up. But we're creating an ongoing series. If you go to the my, my page, Tessa which is on the Open Nesters website page. And the intimate and open event is for men that we're going to have an ongoing series about to really explore what men are seeking and why they can be curious about deeper, wholehearted relationships. Hey, I'm going to be joining that particular session. I look forward uh, to doing it, really. You can find all the information about Tessa's session on our website, theopennesters.com. That's the in the beginning Double in in the middle and S at the end, theopennesters.com. And we'd love to hear from you, love to hear your comments. Please recommend some of the episode that you may want to hear about, subject matter that uh, really means to you and you like to discuss. And even go ahead and fill up our survey, our listener survey, that will help us uh, pinpoint exactly 
what the interest of our audience is. And you can also join the excluded and exclusive Facebook page. Right, where absolutely the events will be listed on the Facebook page as well. And we really would love to hear, and we'll ask for your help. And if you like this episode, to please share it with somebody that could benefit from it. Because we thank you so much, our listeners, for how we've been able to grow as podcasters and yeah. in our lives and have hear feedback from people about how they're growing. I have grown tremendously from these podcasts, interviewing people and listening and really meeting a lot of new opportunities. Right. We opened so many ideas for ourselves as well. It's been so great for us. Wonderful to have you on another episode of The Open Esters. Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we'll see you on the radio. Ciao.